The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look in particular at verse 6, the fourth beatitude this morning. But as we have uh, each week walking through the beatitudes, I want us to read uh, all eight in their entirety, and then we will reread verse 4, which again will be our focus for the morning. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, that being Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Back to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What is it that brought you to this place this morning? If we were to go around and I were to have the microphone and ask you, why did you come here this morning? Why did you enter this church building where the church gathers to worship the Lord? What would your response be? Or better yet, what would your true response be? Because none of us would really tell the truth because we can lie with our tongue. But if we could examine your heart, and see the motivation that drove you to this place this morning, what would we find? Is it merely a desire to feel good about yourself? Is this what drives a lot of people to religious activity? Is this sort of inward thought that we can somehow be better for it? That we can have a greater life by it? And so it's almost a self glorifying pursuit? Is it a sense of obligation? Well, you're the pastor. You had to come this morning. Everybody was expecting you to get up and deliver a sermon, so here I am. Is it obligation? Is it maybe a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa? Had to come because you knew people were watching. For most of us, I think this is true. Was it a habit you really didn't think about? It's just what you do. You've you've done it for so long. It's what you've done Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And so on Saturday night, you've built in a good spiritual habit, but a good spiritual habit that perhaps if it only becomes a habit is not so great. It's what you do. You get up, you come to church on Sunday morning, and you give little thought about why and what it is for which you're coming this morning. Habit has taken over. And you just do it because it's what you've always done. Or maybe, perhaps, hopefully this morning, you could say, no, I, I came here this morning because I hunger and I thirst 
righteousness. I came this morning because I hunger and thirst for the living God to know Him more, to know Him to a greater degree than I did before coming. I want to know Him more. I want to serve Him to a greater degree. I want to honor and glorify Him in my life. And so when I arose this morning, I knew it's the Lord's Day, and I decided I needed to, I must come gather together as His church, because I want to know Him. I want to grow in my walk with Him as we sing great songs of the faith to Him and I, I'm renewed in my passion for the Lord. I want, to, I want to dive into His Word and have Him speak to me through it because I, I hunger and I thirst for Him as I even hunger for food and thirst for water. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Now, you can go to the doctor, and the doctor is going to have a whole series of questions to ask you about your diet. How much salt have you been eating? How much caffeine are you taking in in a day? In a good way, how much water have you been drinking? How many fruits and vegetables, broccoli and Brussels sprouts and the like, are you taking in for your vitamins and your nourishment? It's long been said that Preachers are, in a way, doctors of the soul. Uh, that every time we gather to sit under the Word of God, it is an examination of our spiritual health, of our soul, of our well-being spiritually before God in light of the mirror of God's Word. And, and so this morning, as a doctor of the soul, I don't want to question your diet, not even your spiritual diet, so to speak, but your appetite. What is it that you're craving? What is it that you're seeking in life? What is it that you're worshiping? (laughs) That you're sacrificing things in your life for? That you're yearning and longing for? That you're living for? Seeking, thinking that if only you get it, it will make you happy. You see, hunger and thirst are strong physical desires, are they not? We, We, honestly, we know little of true hunger and true thirst. Now, we live in such a, a blessed country of such abundance to think. I mean, we've got a water fountain right out back. If any of you are thirsty on your way out, fresh, clean, drinking water in abundance that makes none of us sick. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We have you know faucets in our house, and none of us have difficulty obtaining water to drink, nor food to eat. Uh, we stuff our guts every meal we eat. It was not until, it was actually at seminary in a a Bible class more on the archaeological and the historical setting, the culture of the biblical era, that the professor made this point that it really kind of hit home for me that most of the world today that is so impoverished, and especially those in time past and the generations that were before, knew very little about what it was to be full, to eat so much that they could not eat anymore. And you realize that's all that we know. Every meal we eat, we eat until we can't eat anymore. And we really don't ever get very much hungry until we're eating again. And I've got a six-year-old, a a four-year-old, and a three-year-old, and I promise all they do is eat. They they want to eat, 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 eat. After they eat a meal, they want a snack. And after a snack, they want ice cream. And after ice cream, they want... Well, that's all we ever do is eat, 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 eat. And we know very, very little of what it is to truly be hungry. And to be so hungry and to have so little that all you really get is just enough little morsel of food to keep you alive 
to satisfy your hunger just a bit where you're never full. You're just a little less hungry than you were for a full, were before for just a, a temporary moment, only to get hungry to the point of death once again. There's many in ages past and many even today that live such a life of hunger and of thirst, not having clean drinking water that they can drink. We know little of such strong desire because of the abundance of which we enjoy. And so when the original audience heard these terms of hunger and thirst, as those who are impoverished in hunger and in thirst today would read this, they understand just how strong of a desire those terms are, of a longing those words are. We need food rightly and water rightly to sustain life. But this is the imagery that Jesus uses to describe the longings of our hearts spiritually. Hunger and thirst. And the opposite of hungering and thirsting after righteousness is not just the mere absence of hunger and thirst, as if the opposite of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is just sort of this contentment and satisfaction with no desires, no, no wants. That's not the opposite of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The opposite of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is hungering and thirsting for worldliness, for things that aren't righteousness. And so worldliness would... would determine, would define rather things that are wrong, that are sinful, the sins of this life, but also the things that just don't hold any eternal value. The things of this world that are so fleeting and temporary that that in their right place aren't necessarily sinful, but when they're elevated to a supreme place become sinful because of their worthlessness in the sense of eternity. The reality is every one of you in here this morning have an appetite You are living for something. You are craving and yearning for something. You're thirsting and hungering for something. The question for the morning is, what is it? What are you hungering and thirsting for this morning? What are you seeking in life? What are you living after and pursuing all the days of your life, thinking that in that, in them, in in something, you will find the greatest happiness and contentment and blessing in life? So many hunger and thirst for fame, for prestige and honor. The fear of man drives them for popularity. You know, we we talk a lot about teenagers and people in college, about the desires to be popular, but that doesn't end when you turn 21, and it doesn't end when you turn 81. There's still something within us that wants others to look at us and to impress others. Some pursue money and hunger and thirst for it, thinking if only they could get that next next promotion, that next bigger paycheck, then they would be happy and they seek it as if it's the end of all life. Materialism, stuff, big houses, cars, clothes, all the stuff that, that is not wrong in and of itself, but when elevated to a wrong place becomes sinful. The hunger and thirst for power to manipulate and do all that they can to maintain control, not only over their life, but even over the lives of others. And then others recognize the futility of all of those things, and you know they set out to live after just pleasure and leisure in life, vacation, retirement that we all eventually hope to get to, to just enjoy our days and leisure on this earth. And, and again, some of those things in and of themselves are not wrong, but when elevated to a supreme place, they become wrong. When they are what we are hungering and thirsting for, they become wrong. They become worldliness. Could you say this morning honestly before God, 
I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. Jesus uses that word righteous quite a few times in the Sermon on the Mount that we are examining uh, this morning and in the weeks to come. I want to just draw out a couple of those instances that we can rightly define that word righteousness. We need to know what it is we ought to be pursuing. Verse 10, as we already read, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so righteousness is something that men around us, other people around us, can see in our lives and even persecute us because of it. We go to verse 20. And Jesus says, For I say unto you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. They were the ones who had it all figured out, so to speak, as far as a cultural expression of religion. They knew what they should know, and they did what people thought they should do, and they commanded of others to do what ought to be done. These scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed their righteousness, or by no means will you enter the kingdom of heaven. Go to close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. We'll read just one more. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first, above all else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All of these materialistic needs that you have, don't worry about them. Don't elevate them to a supreme place in your life. Don't pursue them as if they are first and primary, but pursue God, his kingdom, and it says, and his righteousness. If I were to give you a simple, good definition of what righteousness is, righteousness simply means being right in the eyes of God. The the, the longing and desire of your heart should be, ought to be, I, Lord, want to be made right in your eyes. There's a secondary definition that deals with right in the eyes of mankind, but, but mankind doesn't always see things God's way, and so sometimes you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, but you're an audience of one. You're living for the Lord, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He is the one whom you are living to please in your life, seeking that what you are and seeking that what you do is right in God's eyes, no matter how it appears in the eyes of everybody else around you. Noah is a great example of one whom the Scriptures call a righteous man. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all of your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. In a day and age in which all had turned away from God and were doing wickedness and were living for the things of the world who were hungering and thirsting after worldliness, Noah was one who hungered and thirsted after God. Noah was one who was right in the eyes of God because of his pursuit of God, because of his seeking after God, because of his obedience towards God. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you living with the desire to be right in the eyes of God above all else, above every other opinion on planet earth, every other person that may see you, even your own self and your own thoughts to say, my heart's desire is to be right, God, in your eyes. Blessed, meaning happy in the Lord, we talked about a couple weeks ago, blessed meaning having the favor of God upon you that leads to a contentment in life no matter the situation, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then a promise, for they shall be filled 
But if you long for it and you desire it, the God of all grace and mercy gives it. He he gives to us this righteousness that is His, that we seek, that we need, that we desire when we turn to Him and ask of it from Him, desire it from Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to ask you two questions of examination this morning regarding your spiritual appetite. One is targeted to the person who's never come to Christ and believed upon Him as Lord and Savior. One is targeted to a lost person, one who's unregenerate, one who's not saved. The other is an application, a question for those of us who are saved, who do know uh, Jesus as Lord and as Savior. So first, to some of you who, really it's a question for all of us to examine our hearts by to make sure our calling and election or salvation. Matthew, uh, well, let me ask you the question first. Have you sought Jesus for the righteousness of salvation? Have you sought Jesus for the righteousness that is required for salvation, for justification, for being born again, for becoming a child of God, for being made right in the eyes of a holy, just God? Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 20, we read the verse where Jesus says, and we'll hit it on again when we get there, but Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. You're not going to make it. He elevated before the audience that had gathered who they would see as the most religious, self-righteous people on planet earth. And he tells them, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will by no means enter the the kingdom of heaven. That to be made right in the eyes of God, is what he's saying, requires far more than just doing good things in your life. It requires far more than just doing some good works of, of external righteousness that others may see that is good. Don't think that good works aren't good. By the grace of God, even the worst of us, of humanity can do good things. You can find the worst person who's ever lived, and he's capable of doing a good deed, a good action, by the common grace of God given to humanity. We still know goodness. But hear me, the Bible teaches all over that that goodness will never atone for our sinfulness. That that goodness can never pay the penalty for the wrong that humanity has committed, for the wrong of Adam and Eve, and for the sin of your own personal life, that no matter how much good you do, it is good, it is of some merit, but it never has the capability to atone, to justify you before a perfectly holy, infinite, eternal God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you think about it for a moment, why would Jesus come and die upon a cross? Think of that for a moment. Just dwell on it, even as the the three crosses are here behind me, to think for a moment if all we needed was some good teaching that could guide us in our pathway, that could give us some instruction to follow, that could get us out of this issue of sin of which we have entered. If all we needed was good teaching, could not have Jesus simply delivered this great Sermon on the Mount and His other teachings and then ascended back to the Father in glory without the sufferings of the cross? If all we needed was teaching, He would have done such. 
All he needed was a good example to follow. Could he not have just set the example as he did in the perfection of his life and in the compassion of his ministry and given us that example to follow and then ascended back to the right hand of the Father in glory without the sufferings of the cross? All we needed was a little bit of light to shine into our darkness, to give us a hope for bettering ourselves. Could he not have just done that as he did in his life and ascended back to the Father without the crucifixion? But it's in the garden that Jesus prayed, not my will but thine be done. If there be any other way, (laughs) any other way, and what he's speaking of there is for the redemption of his people. If there's any other way for the forgiveness of sins, God, do it. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. It was the only way, and Jesus went willingly to that cross. He was not forced. It was no accident. It wasn't a misunderstanding. Jesus came, and even at the beginning of his ministry, go back all the way to his birth that we looked at a number of weeks ago, the angels even pronounce this as Jesus who will save his people from their sins. His name even means Savior. Yeshua, the Old Testament name Joshua. He, He is one who's come to do a work of redemption. And Isaiah prophesied it all the way back in the Old Testament. He will give his life to bear the iniquities of His people. That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That Jesus willingly went as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, climbing Calvary, that hill that looked in the shape of a skull is what the name means, a place of death that He ascends and He he bears the agonies of Calvary. Why? Because we needed a little bit of teaching to to guide us along the way because we needed an example set before us of compassion and love because we needed a little bit of light in our darkness? No! He did it because we were dead in our sins and our trespasses with no hope of redemption, with no hope in and of ourselves of ever making ourselves right before a holy God. We needed a Savior. We needed a righteousness that wasn't of sinful humans, tainted by sin, that wasn't filthy rags, as Isaiah 64, 6 says. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. We needed the righteousness of the Son of God and His perfection and His glory who took on humanity to, to die a death upon a cross in our place. We need His righteousness. Do you realize the beauty of what happens when Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When you, a sinner, come to that place of longing and desiring to be made right before God, knowing that you can't do it in and of yourself, you you turn to God, you're seeking and desiring it, and what you find is He has already done it all for you. Did Jesus, when you turn to Him, says, I've I've borne the penalty of your sins at Calvary. And when you place faith in Jesus Christ, He gives you His righteousness. So that when God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sin that you've committed and even the sin that you've been born into as the fallen seed of Adam. When God looks to you who've come to Christ, who've believed upon Him, He sees the perfect righteousness of His Son. That righteousness has been imputed, been accounted to you, to your account. It's been accredited to you. It's not an inherent righteousness that you've manufactured and produced by your good works. It's what Jesus did and what He gives to you by His grace as you place faith and trust in Him. Have you sought Jesus 
for the righteousness of salvation. Sinner, do you long to be made right in the eyes of God? If you do, all you must do is look to Jesus, seek Him, turn to Him, believe upon Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So when you do that, God of His grace gives you the righteousness of Christ and He saves you. I know there's many in this room, some not long ago, some much, much long ago. Many of you have come to that place where you've turned to Christ and you've sought Him as Lord and Savior. You've hungered and thirsted for righteousness and you've found a God of grace and mercy is there to pardon and forgive and give to you the righteousness of Christ. This second question is for you now. Are you seeking Jesus not only for the righteousness of salvation, but also the righteousness of sanctification. You say, what do you, what do you mean, the righteousness of salvation versus a righteousness that is the process of sanctification? What is this word sanctification? Okay, salvation, the ju- uh, righteousness that God gives to us then justifies us in His eyes. He does it based upon the work of Christ. It's the righteousness of Jesus that's accredited to our account. In that moment, you are saved. You're redeemed. You're born again. But in that moment that you come to Christ... You realize you're a babe in Jesus. You're an infant in your spiritual health and walk with the Lord. Um, Day by day, God actually calls us to grow in a deeper faith and a deeper walk with Him. In that moment of salvation, you don't know anything about standing against trials and and temptations, sins of this life. You you probably in that moment didn't know much about the Word of God and, and have a deep doctrinal foundation of an understanding of the great truths about God. And you were weak in that faith, though it was a saving faith and His righteousness given to you. But in this life, there was still much and is still much in all of us that God is working on, right? Where the righteousness of Jesus that is imputed to us now works in us and through us, through the Spirit of God, day by day, to make us more like Jesus, to conform our hearts to more of a a pursuit of Jesus, a likeness to the Lord Jesus. That's called sanctification, the process of daily God working in the believer to edify and grow us in our walk that we may look more and more as He desires for us to be. It will be perfected by the righteousness of Christ someday when we get to heaven. But in the here and now, day by day, realize, believer, child of God, He's a good Father, He's disciplining, He's through His Spirit growing us by His grace to to become a more mature believer. He's sanctifying us. Christian, child of God, are you seeking Jesus for the righteousness of sanctification? Are you seeking Him in your daily living, desiring above and beyond everything else to be right in the eyes of the Lord? I know it's easy get our eyes off of what matters most. And though when you come to Him, you're rightly focused upon Him, how quick we are to get distracted by all the things of this life, all the worldliness that is around us. And it's so, I think it's so commonplace for Christians today to be so complacent and so apathetic in their pursuit of God, in their pursuit of righteousness, even in their living as a believer, because we think, well, we've got our ticket out of hell, we're on our way to heaven, and now we can just turn and and pursue and hunger and thirst after money and hunger and thirst after leisure and hunger and thirst out of 
things that do not matter in life. And we pursue all of these things and put them at the, the, the apple of our eye, the primary thing that we are living for, and all the while that which we ought to be living for, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, that falls to the wayside. More concerned about school activities and sports and popularity and travel and work and the whole gamut of everything in life that distracts us, that draws our attention, and the person lacks what A.W. Tozer called a God hunger. I like that term. How's your God hunger today? Are you hungering and thirsting for Him as a believer to know Him to a greater degree, to to serve Him and glorify Him to a greater degree in in all that you are and all that you're doing and all that you hope to be. A message like this scares me as a father. Scares me as a father who's a preacher. Because I've got three kids, as I just mentioned, and my goodness, do they watch Daddy. And I know I can say to them what needs to be said. I know I can preach to them what needs to be heard. But hear me, they are far more apt to be influenced by what they see. Far more than what they hear. We talk often and think often about why is it that a younger generation is turning away from the church? What's going on? Is it a a failed youth ministry model? Is it we're not culturally relevant enough? What are the reasonings? And I think one of the primary reasons often can be, not always, this isn't always the case of a a child not following the Lord, but often I think it is the case that a, a child merely practices in public the private longings and desires of his parents, of his or her parents. That so often we can say with our mouth these things and go to church because we are obligated to and we build a habit of doing it when the reality is our lives in the way that we're living have something else prioritized. We are truly hungering and thirsting for something that is not to be right in the eyes of God, setting Him first and foremost, above it all. And some make church a part of their pursuit of money or a pursuit of occupation or a pursuit of prestige and, and pride and ambition. And it's just as tempting, if not more so, for the guy that stands up behind this pulpit every week to do so because look at all the eyes that watch him every week. My goodness, has pastor after pastor fallen because of the selfish ambitions of their heart. And I worry even with kids in my own household that see me, if ever they sense a desire for ambition, a desire for pride and prestige and power that is not a hunger and thirst for righteousness, no matter what the words are that I'm speaking. And what's true of me is true of you, every Christian parent in the room, every Christian period in the room parent or not. People are watching and they see the longings and desires of our hearts playing out in our lives. No matter what your words are that you're saying, they see it. May they see a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be testimony of Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And we'll close after this, but listen to these words of Paul and carry them with you as you go. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. You realize right now this morning, you are as close to God as you want to be. Let that sink in. Well, I'm just not as close to God as I should be. Why is that? You were as close to God this morning as you want to be. A.W. Tozer made this point. And he wrote, going along with it, it may be said without qualification that every man is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is as most certainly as full as he wants to be. What do you want this morning? What is it that this week of your life declared forth that you're seeking, that you're hungering, that you're thirsting for, and therefore you're prioritizing it, and you're sacrificing for it. What are you worshiping? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they Father, we come to You and we ask of Your grace and mercy that You would give us a right appetite for You, for Your Word, for Your people, for Your Gospel, for Christ, for Your righteousness. Lord, if there be any in here this morning who are longing for that righteousness of salvation, all they need to do is turn to You and desire it. It's not of their works. It's not of their or background, anything they've done or anything they can do. It's all of You, of Your grace and mercy and what You did for them through Christ dying upon a cross for their sins and being buried and raised again. Lord, I pray for any who don't know You now that they may turn, that they may repent, that they may believe and they will find You are a God who forgives lavishly, forgives joyfully and with delight rejoicing that a sinner has been saved. If there's any in here who don't know you as Lord and Savior, may now turn and find your God to save them. Lord, if there's any believer in here, as there likely is, who's not been living for you, who's not been setting you as first and foremost, the one we are hungering for and thirsting for, may you convict us, forgive us, renew and restore within us a heart to rightly pursue you, to rightly seek you, Lord, may your word do as it promises and not return void, but instruct or do 